You're listening to GDA Podcast, powered by GDA Speakers, now available on iTunes and all other podcast platforms with new episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. GDA Podcast showcases insightful conversations from the best thought leaders, educators, policy experts, motivators, and storytellers on the keynote speaking circuit today. Want today's guest at your next event? Call GDA Speakers at 214-420-1999 or visit gdaspeakers.com. And now, here's this episode of GDA Podcast with hosts Scale and Kyle Davis. Enjoy. Jamie Metzl has been called a renaissance man, and reading his bio makes clear why. Not only has he served in high-level positions in the U.S. government, in the White House, State Department, and Senate, and with the United Nations in Cambodia, not only has he run for Congress and ran a major international affairs organization, not only has he written four books, including three high-profile novels, but he's also completed 30 marathons, 12 Ironman triathlons, and nine ultramarathons. Jamie is a futurist who appears regularly on national and international media discussing Asian economic and political issues, and his syndicated column and other writings on Asian affairs, genetics, virtual reality, and other topics are featured regularly in publications around the world. He has testified before Congress outlining emergency preparedness recommendations after 9-11, and on the national security implications of the biotechnology and genomics revolution. I met Jamie on a cruise to Brazil about oh, 14 months ago, yeah. and it's my pleasure to welcome him to today's episode of GDA Podcast. Welcome, Jamie. Hey, Jamie. Thanks so much, Gail. Thank you, Kyle. I have such fond memories of you guys from that cruise, and I'm thrilled to be connected. Awesome. Well, I think... Uh... Having memories at all from that cruise is probably a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, I think I'm going to, that's you guys, but I yeah, support yeah. you. I will say, <laughs> it was I did, fun I, to watch. Yeah, I, I will say this. I, I remember one day when we were in the gym and you're looking over at me and my brother doing like some hardcore plyo workouts and you're like, oh, you guys are getting it like the Navy SEALs. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> well, it was the Navy SEALs, but yeah. it wasn't fully what the Navy SEALs no. do, but it was partly what the Navy <laughs> yeah, SEALs we, we were, do. That's yeah, good. Yeah, it was funny. All right. So, uh, I think the nail was hit on the head when uh, when mom or Gail or whatever we want to call her <laughs> said, uh, you're a renaissance man. So give some people, uh, the, the audience or so, like some insight as to what makes you a renaissance man because you, you talk about so much uh, and you've done so much. Well, you know, people call me a renaissance man a lot. And I always say uh, that it's not being like somebody from the renaissance, but it's like who in the renaissance because as you know, Kyle – uh, during the Renaissance, 99% of everybody was shoveling manure. So just being a Renaissance man isn't that great. But what I will say in response to your question uh, is, um, I, for me, I, one thing that I feel like I, I at least try to do is to put together big pictures of changes that are, 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 are happening in the world. And so my two big areas, one are Asia and geopolitics where there's a big historic change that's happening with uh, China rising and other Asian countries becoming much more significant, uh, not just uh, in the region, but internationally than they've been in, uh, in many centuries and, and up, turning on its head a Western-dominated, uh, in many ways, international order 
uh, that's, that has defined the world for three, 400 years. And with the genetics and biotechnology work uh, that I do, it's the same thing. We're on the verge of these revolutionary changes that are going to change not only the nature, uh, how we make babies, but the nature of the babies that we make. Uh, it's, I'm doing a lot of work uh, on uh, human life extension, and we have this idea that uh, biology is this fixed thing that our grandkids will be biologically like us, and that is now all up for grabs. And so for me, to understand these big um, changes in the world requires pulling a lot of different kinds of pieces together. And I've always had a, a very hungry mind and wanting to learn about a lot of things. And um, for me, I think everybody is a Renaissance person in, in one way or another. But what I'm trying to do is to tell a bigger story based on a lot of dif uh, disparate pieces. I think being able to find the strand that pulls everything together is a is something of a, of a skill set that many people don't have, but they really should. And um, I, I love how you're, you're saying that you pull all these disparate pieces together, but you make this big picture much easier to view. And, and you frame it in a way that's uh, very easy for people to digest. Yeah, that's something that's very important uh, for me because I, when I first started thinking, of, I'll take the biotechnology issues, I started writing more specialized articles in journals like Foreign Affairs. And not everybody reads that. And even when people do, it's not for everybody. And I started to think, well, if you have something that you think people should know, you need to reach people in the way that they are prepared to receive that information. So one of the reasons why I write both nonfiction um, and novels um, is that there are a lot of people, and it's the history of our species, is that we learn through stories, stories told around the campfire, uh, and, and the medium has changed. Maybe we're not around the campfire. Maybe we're in the movie theater or novels or cartoons or comics or whatever. But we learn through stories, and stories help make abstract ideas real. So in my novel writing, in uh, lecturing, I do a lot of lecturing around the world on these, these um, big important topics. What I like to do is to have people at the end of my talk say, wow, you know, I get it. And now I'm not just somebody trying to, to understand some difficult scientific concept, but I'm recognizing and internalizing the importance of what's changing in the world and how it's going to touch me and my responsibility to maybe do things a little bit differently as a result of that knowledge. I think uh, as somebody who I have a subscription to Foreign Affairs, but then I also have a subscription to Foreign Policy Magazine online, and I, yeah, I look great. at both. And you know, Foreign Affairs because is, is super wonky and long articles, and I love it for me. Mm -hmm. But the quick the quick read of a foreign policy is like, oh, this is so good. And I, I, I mentioned this because I want to have you, if you could, do a quick, you know, how did we get here? if you will, with regards to Asia, um, even though there's so much that we could talk about. And then uh, I know one of the questions that I think my mom will ask is, is how does this all interact in, in the geopolitics of, of the Trumpian era? Sure. So to understand how we got here, we need to go back um, about 400 years, um, because in uh, 400 years ago, uh, in 1648, at the end of the Thirty Years' War, the Treaty of Westphalia was signed. And what it did is it established this idea of sovereign states that were above 
religion. Um, and that held, the, that, that world of states um, held uh, until the Napoleonic Wars ripped Europe apart. And then in 1815, uh, the countries came together and established again this uh, Congress of Vienna based on this idea of sovereign states. But those sovereign states became very competitive with one another. Uh, these ideas of, of hard and fixed sovereignties led to the destruction of the, of the First World War. And then this excessive nationalisms connected to that system um, led to the, the utter destruction of the Second World War. Um, but at the same time, the Europeans in the colonial era brought these ideas of sovereignty and nationalism uh, to Asia. And in Asia, um, where the colonial empires were, were established at the end of the Second World War, uh, people didn't think of sovereignty and nationalism as the root cause of the problem, as many in the West did, but they felt that these were ingredients that had been lacking during the, for them during the colonial, uh, colonial era. And so now we're in this phase where China particularly is rising, um, but it, in many ways it's not buying in to the Western-founded uh, post-war international order, which is based around ideas of international law, and uh, shared sovereignty and transnationalism. And China is reaching back in many ways to a traditional European idea of hard nationalism. And then we have President Trump, um, who is in, in many ways very distrustful of these post-war um, structures like the European Union, like NATO, like the United Nations, all of these institutions that were all created in the aftermath of the, of the uh, Second World War. So what we're seeing is a, a rising China that's becoming more and more powerful and a United States that's becoming less able and less willing uh, and not even wanting uh, to support the post-war international order um, that has been the hallmark of peace and security for the last uh, 70 years. So that world that we've known, which has been incredibly successful in many ways, is coming to an end, and we're going back um, to a balance of power structure uh, where China, the United States, Russia, uh, and others will all be important states, but there's a lot of uncertainty in the world, and there's a tremendous uh, potential for, uh, for conflict. And that's why I always say that this is probably the most dangerous moment in American uh, history since the Cuban Missile Crisis, mm -hmm. uh, because the world that we've known is in many ways crumbling. I would agree with that. And I think we're also confused as to what to look at, you know, too many, I mean, we could talk about Syria and everything else, but we're, yeah, you know, it, it, that's a huge humanitarian crisis that we're, we're looking at over there, but, um, Al Qaeda is not going to be the death by a thousand cuts. It's going to be something else. It's going to be, you know, I, I, I think that's a really important point. Um, and a lot of people miss it because you open up the newspaper and you, you feel that the stories. Uh, that are the top headlines are the most important. But a thousand years from now, when people look back at, at today, Al-Qaeda terrorism likely aren't going to be the big stories. But the big story certainly will be um, that certainly the rise of, of China and how that's changed and cha changing and, and uh, the world. Uh, it will certainly be that after four billion years of evolution, uh, by random mutation and natural selection, our species began now uh, guiding our own evolution uh, with 
uh, gene editing and, and genome sequencing and all these other revolutionary technologies that are only now uh, beginning their very rapid process of, of maturation. So we have all these things that feel important, but they're often even bigger important, um, uh, bigger stories, more important issues that we're not uh, focusing nearly the attention on uh, that we should. It's like the dog and pony show before you head into the big tent. It really is. And now with the spectacle, particularly of American politics, it's like there's it's like there, there's a fireworks show going on all the time. And you're kind of looking from one explosion to the other. And it's very hard for people to take a step back and ask, what are the really important issues? What are the things that we should be focusing on? And that's why I think um, getting out and, and speaking and having conversations is really important because we humans, we are a social species. Uh, we learn through communicating with, uh, with each other and having um, the kinds of dialogues that, that you guys uh, organize um, and others is just is now more important than ever. I find it so interesting that you have the column, you know, which is based on facts, <laughs> and then you right. do the novels. And I'm curious yeah. how much um, of what's really going on in the world inspires the themes of your novels? So my novels are all based on the very hard science. And I start with whether it was Genesis Code and, gen and genetic engineering or Eternal Sonata and life extension. My foundation is really getting to understand the hard scientists, speaking with a lot of, scient of, uh, of uh, scientists, understanding the science. Um, and then from there, I say, all right, well, if we are on the verge of being able to rewrite the code of life, what will that mean? What will it mean when the first, when the first um, genetically enhanced people show up? How will people react? Will intelligence services get, uh, get involved? Or what will it mean when uh, there will be a scientist at some point um, who, uh, and multiple scientists together who, are, who figure out, wow, if we, if we do this, we might be able to to live much, much longer than we uh, currently live or download our brains into some other medium. Like there's always that first moment when you think like, wow, this crazy thing is now possible. Right. And, uh, and then what are the implications of that? So in, in some ways, my non, uh, when I'm writing novels, my nonfiction work gets me to the, to the starting line. But then it's the imagination to say, well, if this is true, if these things are, are true or will be true based on the real science, what will it mean? What will it mean on a, on a global affairs level? But also what will it mean to be a human being? What does it mean? How, does, how, does, how would immortality change the way we think of ourselves? How would it change the way we think about love, uh, about time, about all of these things? Uh, and that's why it's so fruitful for, for me to bring the worlds of fiction and nonfiction together. One of the things that is popping into my mind with regards to immortality, but in a weird kind of macabre way, is uh, a recent piece that CNN was doing talking about um, the AI uh, using AI to, to read through people's texts and then being able to have a conversation with someone who's died. And then I keep right. thinking about, well, that's that in of itself is crazy. But if you watch Black Mirror, you know that that was an episode two or three years ago. And so I'm, yeah. I'm wondering, you know, kind of with that, like, what is that um, really push or genetic enhancement that's going to really cause us to really step back and go, 
uh, maybe we can live forever, even if it's just our thoughts or our being or, or something else. Yeah. So, I mean, certainly it's possible today to have an artificial intelligence bot and then populate that bot uh, with the historical experience of a person. So you that bot could learn speech patterns. It could know some element of that history. And that's, that's very uh, rudimentary. Mm-hmm. But eventually, and whether eventually is 20 years from now or 50 years from now or 100 years from now, um, we are going to have more and the ability to download more and more complicated thoughts. And ultimately, and then now we're, we're at a spiritual question, if you believe that human beings were created by some kind of divine source and are infinitely complex, you could think, well, how could you ever understand a thought? How could you ever understand this thing that we experience as spirituality or whatever? But if you think that human beings are single-cell organisms that have mutated over four billion years and gotten more and more uh, complex, and if you believe it's understand, it's possible to understand pretty well a single-cell organism or even a simple organism like uh, C. elegans roundworm, then you would have to accept that there will come a time when uh, our technology uh, driven by Moore's law and, and these, these um, exponential forces making our technology ever more complex, that our technology will, have the, will be more complex than we are, that we'll be able to create the functional equivalent of a brain and to download our thoughts into some other medium. And the question is, well, is that immortality? Like if you're body is dead, but your thoughts live on in some other structure, or maybe uh, they are, are, are downloaded into a, a, a robot, a robotic medium, or you could walk around, but you're, you're not physically the same you other than the physicality of your, of your thoughts. You know, it's, it's, it, it feels crazy, but it also is very logical. I and mean, I, I think that we will eventually uh, get to that point and, and it may take longer than we'd imagine. Um, but, um, it's, you know, these are really big issues that, that force us to ask some fundamental philosophical questions of ourselves. You know, kind of you know, that, that would help really, uh, if we could download the, the minds of like the founding fathers so we can ask them, Hey, what did you actually mean? Was this a secret comma or some other thing like that? Um, I don't know. I was just, yeah, and, I, was and I, about well, that. I was like, oh man, that'd be brilliant. You know, uh, but I think that the founding fathers, and this is, is relevant to the debate that's now happening with the, uh, with the, the passing of Justice Scalia and mm-hmm. the Neil Gorsuch hearings. I think um, if the founding fathers were um, were around, um, they wouldn't want to answer those questions because they would say we laid a foundation not of a not of a constitution set in uh, formaldehyde, but our anticipation was with these principles, society will grow, and you're going to have to figure out what that means and apply these core values to a very different set of uh, set of facts. So I'm not a an originalist. But it would be kind of interesting to um, uh, to have them around. It would be certainly fun. It would be certainly and it'd be good for Epcot. Go and for Epcot Center, 
you go to that hall of presidents, it would make it a lot more exciting. <laughs> yes. I think, I think it would, it would help. Uh, I think if people just understood that there's an amendment process for a reason, it'd be, um, yeah, exactly. Be yeah, exactly. You know? It's like, uh, no, that would, I mean, it would be, it's like the Woody Allen movie when he's, uh, I can't remember which one where he's in line and he's like, spe- some guy is speaking pompously about, the Marshall McLuhan and then Marshall McLuhan shows up and says, that wasn't what I meant at all. (laughs) So at least we, at least, you know, the progressives among us might say, well, look, you know, I've got George Washington right here. (laughs) And and he says, you're wrong. Oh, the joy that would be. Hey, um, Jamie, I know recently you were at South by Southwest. Tell us um, what, what was going on in Austin and what you spoke about while you were there. Oh, it was great. So this is my first time at South by Southwest. I gave a big uh, solo talk on the future of human genetic engineering. Um, I, so South by Southwest is just I, – I, that makes me sound unhip. South by, as oh, the, yes. the yes. cognizante yes. call it, <laughs> yeah. um, was – it was incredible. I mean, just to, there, were, there were so many incredible people, so many interesting things happening at the same time. Um, there were just at every hour, 40 or 50 different things between talks and films and music and comedy and gaming. So what I had to do, I noticed that in everybody, in everybody's, uh, talks, everyone had their phone out and they were kind of scrolling through, I think it was FOMO. Um, everyone was, uh, was scrolling through their phones about different things that were happening, what they were, could do now, what they were going, possibly going to do next. So I had to, I put yoga before my thing started. I put yoga music on the the uh, PA system, and then we did um, focused breathing. Mm-hmm. And I said, "All right, so we're going to be present for this next hour, and we're going to learn about this really important topic." And every it was great. It was a it was a full house. Uh, people were really uh, the talk. The talk went really well, and it was the kind of environment where you give a little and get a little. So I certainly gave my talk, which um, was well received. But I got so much from meeting such wonderful people and lo- and I learned a ton from all of the different talks that I went to and just different people were contributing in different ways, whether through music or art or, or cooking or all sorts of things. So it's really wonderful. That's awesome. So I'm, I'm curious when you said, uh, you did a, a session of a focused breathing. Have you ever done, or do you practice the Weinhoff method? I yeah, I don't even know. I don't even know what it is. But Kyle, if you would tell us, that can be an, an educational I, portion so of this podcast. I have to make sure that I, I'm, I'm, I'm googling it like right now, so I can make sure that <laughs> I can give the right attribution yeah. to it. But um, but you you might change it. You might change that method forever. Uh-huh. Um, it could be in a positive it's way. The, you it's just the, say what you think it is. It's the Wim Hof method. That's it. And so it's this guy, okay. uh, I'm forgetting what country he's from, but I want to say it's like, the, the Netherlands or yeah, I'm sure it's or Germany or Austria. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Netherlands, some, some, places, some of yeah. those places. And he's all, he, he's, he can like hold his breath for like eight minutes. And he, wow. he does these crazy breathing exercises that you start for like three weeks where you breathe and then hold breathe and then hold. And you can, you can Google it. It's the first thing that pops up when you type uh, Wim, so W I M and then space Hoff H O F. And then it'll pop up. It's the Iceman Wim Hoff.com forward slash method. Wow. And what it huh. does is it'll help you start to breathe. And then he, then you start taking cold showers with it. And then you start taking, um, 
ice baths and then you start to learn to, to hold your breath for like up to 10 minutes or something crazy like that under like an ice bath and it and it does something uh if you're if you're like all about the ketogenic diet and like focusing and you can you can do some really crazy stuff with it but i don't know i was, I was gonna ask you well, something, I, uh, if it was something that you're yeah you know, i i don't do it kyle but i certainly would encourage you to do it and then let's do another <laughs> podcast where we can talk about so it. so i could i could be more informed i just like see the thing about me is i know a, a little bit about a lot but not a lot about a little so uh, we'll have to figure that one out yeah. Well, I think we should shift over to all these great accomplishments you've had with your marathons and your Ironmans and ultra marathons. How did you get into that? And how do you fit in the time for that with all the other things you're doing? So the, the answer to your last question is I'm the world's worst sleeper. I'm so envious of these people who just like they put their head down and it's like eight hours later. They're like, oh, my God, it's morning. How did that happen? And so for me. I got, it's like, geez, it's four o'clock in the morning. Why am I up? I'm kind of annoyed. All right, heck, I'll, maybe I'll go running. Um, but the way it started for me is I've always been athletic. And I just, when I was a little kid, I've always done uh, a lot of sports. And then I was in, uh, the early, in the early 90s, I was living in Cambodia, working as a human rights officer for the UN. And um, me and some others, we created a Cambodia runners club. And it was half Cambodians, half foreigners um and we trained for the bangkok marathon then we flew over on a on a c-130 uh un transport plane to bangkok and we all we ran this race together and it, it at that time it was like i didn't even think i could do it it was such a exciting thing and then i was hooked and so i started running more and more marathons and then i ran so many marathons that it just became rote like i didn't even get excited i was and then I thought, well, there's probably a bigger thing. And, I, and I, then I started to learn more. It was the relatively early days of the Ironman. And I went, now I've got all this kinds of gear. But the first time I went to the Ironman, I had like a $200 bike. And and I had um, mountain biking shoes. And I mean, I just it was like DIY Ironman. <laughs> Frankly, I, I, I did just as well. Now that I have this fancy bike and all the gear, I'm no faster at all. Um, but, uh, but I loved it and that was really exciting. And then, um, I'd always like, I, I grew up going back and forth to Colorado. And so I love being in the, um, uh, just being in the mountains and, and I had this idea, you know, sometimes you could go for like a four or five day hiking trip, but what if you could just do that whole trip in one day and other people carry your food, wouldn't that be a more efficient way to do it? And that was what got me into uh, to ultra marathon. But I did I did an ultra in uh, Taiwan last year after uh, after some meetings there, and, and um, it was this crazy thing in the rainforest. Um, it was a hundred degrees over four mountains and through thick jungle and cliff faces and river crossings. It took nineteen hours and it almost killed me. But the, this is the the sickness part is and. That was a lot of fun. So I, the answer to your question is, it's a personality flaw. <laughs> I love it. Have you have you done the Leadville 100? Uh, Leadville, Leadville 100, yeah. sorry. Yeah, um, I have not done it. Uh, but that's a great uh, historic uh, race that hopefully someday I will do. I just I was like, there's one uh, that I'm probably going to do in early October. Um, but it's um, Bryce Canyon, Zion National Forest, and oh, the Grand cool. Canyon. 
uh, yeah, one after the other uh, in wow. early October. So I think I'm, uh, yeah, in, in, and I've not been to any of those places. So I'm, I'm really excited about it. And to do it with like other people carrying baked, you know, boiling potatoes for you is great. I, I we tried, uh, I mean, my mom's ran a half marathon. I prepared for one great. and then fizzled, fizzled out towards the end because I just feel like my yeah. body's more adapt to CrossFit or something else. But yeah. anyways, uh-huh. I, I what's like your mindset that when you get in like to really help you and like what mile does it click in? Do do you know what I'm trying to say? Like at what point is it just pain and everything's past you? You're now just, you're in flow state. You're going, you know, I don't know. Cause you have to kind of think of it all Not you don't have to, but like, I kind of think of it all as enjoyable. And when, when I'm doing the, the marathon, certainly like you get your flow state and then at mile like 22, you think like, Oh, I guess my flow state is done and my legs really hurt. And then it's just like, you just gotta, you, you just gotta keep, uh, you gotta keep going. I've been flow state. It kind of comes and goes like there's times when I'm in the Ironman where like 15 minutes will pass by and it'll just be 15 minutes later. And I'm, and I think like, well, I'm on my bike, I'm going really fast, but I don't remember it's like this last bit. Cause I, it's just like, you're just doing it and not thinking about it. And that's what I kind of, like about these sports is I, I spend a lot of time in my head right. um, and you kind of get out there and just kind of just like life is kind of a physical experience uh, in many ways. And it's nice just to, to do it. Well, one of the things that I like doing when I run and I actually went for a run last night, was, was, Great. you know, I like the 30, 45 minute run. It allows me to jump in there, get in my thoughts, think about things, Great. run it through yeah. my head and then come out and then like, Oh, that's the idea. <laughs> But I, I don't right. have the ability to write it down. So I'm just wondering, um, since you're thinking about like genetics and stuff, I don't know. Why, I had this question. It was going to be a beautiful question. It really was. But like yeah, how is yeah. this going to change in like 100 years or so? Like when people, you know, they're not thinking about it. But like when you're just crushing and someone runs like the first sub two-hour marathon, like how is this all going to change once we, you know, quote genetically modify ourselves? And then where's yeah. the enjoyment going to come from? You know, everybody always says that, but we, there's just a reset. You know, every generation, you 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 begin life with a set of expectations that aren't – they're not absolute expectations, meaning like your expectation of how long you're going to live or what a healthy lifespan is is based on this moment in time. If you were 100 years ago, it would be a lot less. If you were 2,000 years ago, it would be way, way less. Um, but you kind of – you begin life with just a set of expectations, how things ought to work. And that's your, your baseline. Like you're not every day waking up and thinking like, Oh my God, I'm so glad I'm not farming today. It's just, you just don't have an expectation that you're going to farm, even though that's what our ancestors have done for the last 12,000 years. And before then they were kind of wandering around like hunting for things and searching for berries. So just, there's, there's a reset. And so when people run the, the, two-hour marathon, which I think will probably happen within the next couple of years, um, just because there's new shoe technology mm-hmm. uh, that's letting people go faster. So there's a, there's a whole thing later this year where there's, they're going to try to do it with these new shoes. Yeah, with the Nike shoes. Um, yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, but then no one's going to say, I guess we did the two hours. You know, let's, let's fold up the marathon. Then there'll be some new thing. Like, oh, 155 is the new thing that people want. Man, so I just cool. so <laughs> uh, I, I wish yeah. I, I wish I could run like a, a sub two thirty marathon and then a four four forty and sign me up for the NFL. Yeah, I'm ready to go. <laughs> you you can do it. Just just believe in yourself. 
That's all right. So uh, what's what's next, Jamie? What's on the horizon? I, I know you have the book that you mentioned, um, Eternal Sonata. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Just, yeah, so Eternal Sonata came out a few months ago. I'm just starting uh, my process of working on a new book, which will okay. be a nonfiction book on the future of genetic engineering. Um, and I'm very excited about that. And I'm in the early stages of what looks like will be a very big um, initiative, both a, a, a not-for-profit side and a for-profit side on extreme human life extension. I believe that we are right on the verge of some really fundamental shifts in how we think about aging and lifespan and, most importantly, health span. Uh, and there are new technologies on the horizon um, that really are going to change the way uh, people think about about biology um, and about uh, about aging and uh, and about their expectations uh, of aging. And just to give one example, that right now we spend a huge amount of money on diseases of aging, which you know are of course cancer and dementia and heart disease and others. But we spend a relatively very small amount. I'm trying to counter aging itself, uh, which happens on a systemic, on a cellular level. But there are all kinds of technologies that are working very effectively on other mammals that are not only extending life by up to 30%, um, but also extending the health span. So it's not you're the equivalent of a decrepit person in an old age home um, for 30% longer than your, your other lifespan would have been. But you're actually living a healthier, more robust life. And when you think about that, like even if we could extend health span by two, three years, you know, think of all the people who would spend more time with their loved ones, create more art, write more poetry, invent more things. Uh, and on top of that, you would save trillions of dollars um, in healthcare spending. So we're entering an age um, where revolutionary technology is going to change a lot of things. And we're going to have to be very creative in how we imagine a future that's going to be, you know, in many ways, very different um, from our expectations to date. Mm -hmm. Well, if you want Jamie to tell you about the future of <laughs> genetic engineering or Asia or geopolitics or you know how to, how to run, run a marathon. How, how to run a marathon. Yeah, exactly. I, maybe you know whatever fad diet we're going in for the day. I'm sure he can talk about <laughs> yeah. that too. Uh, it's true. I'm a big what fan. I, what, Go ahead. Yeah. You know what I'll say is, if you're doing a thing and the word diet is part of it, it's not going to work. It's have lifestyle, a lifestyle that works for you, that's sustainable, mm -hmm. and just do that. But I guarantee you, it's going to um, involve exercising. And not eating a lot of uh, processed food, and eating a lot of fresh, healthy, uh, fresh, healthy fruits and vegetables. What about, so that's the shorthand. What about yeah? What about ketogenic adapted? You know, I just think that the things that are hard to say are hard to sustain. So <laughs> you know, your thing of like, I know I'm excited for the the, the Kyle podcast. We're going to talk about freezing yourself and holding your breath. <laughs> um, but but well. well <laughs> I look forward to hearing that about that from in that podcast. I'm gonna, as well. I'm gonna breathe through a straw. No, I, I really <laughs> yeah, like I like exactly. I like the ketogenic diet, but it's 
it's uh, you know it's, all, it's another time another place and i'm sure we've covered it on another yeah. podcast all right cool well like i said if you want uh, jamie to to speak about all the world's whispers you can do so by contacting gda speakers at 214-420-1999 or visiting gdaspeakers.com for the transcript for today's podcast you can go to gdaspeakers.com uh, GDA podcast or gda podcast thank you i just went into the zone right there and the zone <laughs> yeah me up. Excellent. Thank you, Jamie, for joining us. It was great. My great pleasure. Thanks. Take care, guys. All righty. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of GDA Podcast, powered by GDA Speakers. If you're interested in booking today's guest, visit GDA Speakers at gdaspeakers.com or call 214-420-1999. Visit gdapodcast.com and subscribe to our newsletter to stay up to date and be informed of new episodes, blog posts, and more. Be sure to follow GDA Podcast on Twitter and Instagram at GDA Podcast, as well as Facebook at facebook.com slash GDA Podcast. Thanks again and stay tuned for more from GDA Podcast and GDA Speakers.